The title of today's message is Living for Something Bigger. Living for Something Bigger. And this is exactly what this message grabs us with. This message comes and just reaches out and takes hold of us because it speaks of living for something bigger. And isn't that the thing we all suffer with? We end up living these small little lives clustered around what we want, our comfort, our relationships, our dreams. And God says, oh, church, I have something far bigger than you. I have something far bigger than your own self. And the book of Acts talks to us about that, and Paul's life models that. But the Spirit is here this morning to give us that. So I pray that you would hear this word as from God. I have something better and bigger for you to live for. So turn with me to Acts 28, and let's read about that something. Verse 16, as we read Luke's conclusion to the book of Acts, Acts 28, verse 16. And when we, now Luke is writing this and he's with Paul. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had done no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And it wasn't a bling-bling chain around his neck. It was manacles around his wrist tied to a Roman soldier sitting right next to him. Verse 21. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers concerning here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, they're talking about Christianity, which they considered a sect, actually a part of Judaism, a particular sect of Judaism. So with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. Here's Paul's statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to our fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their eye and their ears, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. 
Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Lord, help me to preach this sermon the way you want it preached. Give me a good memory, Lord. Let me preach the words you want preached and help my friends to hear this message, Lord, with ears that actually hear, with eyes that actually see, with hearts that actually understand you, perceive you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I'm thinking about living for something bigger, I'm reminded of the video that we saw last week. It chronicled the trip that our young adults took to serve the church in Cuba. There's much about that video that moved me to tears and still does. But one image in particular captures the essence, I think, of this sermon of the book of Acts and certainly of that trip. And and it's this still shot of David Rios, Fernando Fernandez, and Corey Smidgen, and specifically what is written on Corey's t-shirt, which you can barely see. (laughs) Live for something bigger. Live for something bigger. Friends, that is the message of Acts. That is the message of the disciples in the book of Acts who were captured by the risen Lord Jesus Christ to live for something bigger than themselves, to live to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Now we come to the final chapter of Acts and we find something rather unusual. We find Paul a prisoner. In fact, Paul has been a prisoner For the last five years of his life, were those years wasted years? Did Paul regret the decision he made in Acts 21 to go to Jerusalem? What happens when we, like Paul, find ourselves imprisoned by circumstances or people who seem to hinder us from living for something bigger. As I was preparing this message, the word regret seemed to pop up into my heart and mind, and I believe the Lord brought that word to my mind. So if you're here this morning, and you're living with regret, I want you to listen carefully. Because we may find ourselves imprisoned by our weaknesses or the weaknesses of others, imprisoned by our own moral failures or the moral failures of others, resulting in relational conflict and in the breaking up of our dreams, commitments fail. As a result, we are frustrated by a seeming lack of fruitfulness in our endeavors. And we're tempted to look back on the last few weeks, the last few months, the last few years of our lives and wonder, have they been wasted? Are these wasted years? The answer to that question depends 
on whether you are living for something bigger than yourself. God calls us in this book to live for something bigger than ourselves. And that's the main point of this message. Live for something bigger than yourself. That's what Paul did. And living for something bigger than yourself for Paul meant that he lived as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So living for something bigger than yourself means for us, point one, living as prisoners of Jesus Christ. If we look here in Acts 28, 16, we find that Paul arrives in Rome under house arrest. The text says that, and when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself and the soldier who guarded him. It was tradition. It was the way the Romans did this. When someone came to Rome waiting for a trial, and it was a death penalty kind of trial, they typically would put a shackle around his wrist and take the other shackle and put it around the soldier's wrist. And that guy was with you, or someone was with you, 24-7. Paul acknowledged the physical reality that he was a prisoner. Not of Caesar, but rather of Christ, who had sent Paul to preach the gospel in Rome. Look up here on the screen. Remember Acts 23-11. The following night... The Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Acts 27, verses 23 to 24a. For this very night, Paul speaking, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Paul made it clear here in Acts 28 when he's talking to the Jews, when he asked the Jews to come to his lodging, he makes it clear to them that he was in chains, not because he did anything against the customs of Israel or her people. No, he was in chains because of the hope of Israel, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, whom Paul was preaching as the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. That's why he's in chains. Look at verse 20 again with me. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. I could just see Paul holding up his arm and saying, This chain. This chain is because I hope in the hope that Israel has, the true hope, and that hope is fulfilled in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who rose from the dead, who has ascended into heaven, and who is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He was saying, I'm not a prisoner of Caesar here. I am a prisoner of Christ, who has sent me to testify of him to Caesar and to testify to anyone else I encounter here in Rome. And Paul did, in fact, testify to Caesar in Rome. Reading from the quote on the screen, we are permitted to imagine that the prisoner, Paul, who stood before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa, stood before Caesar also. 
and that in the world's most prestigious court, to the world's most prestigious person, he faithfully proclaimed Christ. Oh, if you would have asked Paul, were those years in prison in Rome wasted? He would have said to you, no, because I wasn't a prisoner of Caesar. I was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Question for you. Whose prisoner are you? Every moment you live as Christ's prisoner will be a moment not wasted, but wisely invested, what Corey said from James this morning. Every moment you live as Christ's prisoner will be a moment not wasted, but wisely invested. Friends, you will never regret even one of these moments lived as Christ's prisoners. I have a lot of regret for things I've done when I was younger. There are a lot of things I think about that I think, "Ah, I wish I hadn't done that. But never does it include going to church, going to community group, praying with someone, being bold to witness to someone. Now, all those things are really hard, and I didn't really want to do some of them at the time. But having done them, I never regretted it. Do you see yourself as a prisoner of Christ? Bound to him. Doing what he asks you to do. Going where he sends you. Oh friend, you will not waste your life if you live that way. You will never regret it. But, oh friend, but every moment you live as a prisoner of self, you are someone's prisoner. No one is totally free. If you think you are, you're wrong. And I would love to talk to you more about that. You are a prisoner of something. You live for something. The question is, is it Christ or self? See, every moment you live as a prisoner of self, a prisoner of your unbelief, your lust, your greed, your vanity, your fear, your envy, your anger, your wrong thinking about God, others, and yourself will be a wasted moment. These will be wasted moments that can lead to deep regret. Oh, I love what Corey said this morning. I'm telling you this because I love you, church. Thank you, Corey. And I'm telling you because I love you, church. I appeal to you, dear Christian friend, learn to live as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, content with him and what he called you to do. And oh, if there are any of you here this morning and you're not sure that you're a Christian, you know what I mean, you're not sure about Christ, then I caution you that according to the Bible, You are living as a prisoner of self and Satan, bound in darkness. And when it comes to God, you have no hope. But there's a way of escape. And it is to become Christ's prisoner. It's not to cut the chain. It's to get the chain on. Because where he goes, you go. What he's done, you've done. And his good is your good. And his righteousness is your righteousness. And your sin, he takes. So turn to the Lord Jesus, friend, and cry out to him for salvation and become his prisoner. He will set you free to live for him who died for you. Didn't just die, but he rose from the dead.
and he ascended into heaven. Don't waste your life. Determine today to see yourself as simply a prisoner of Christ, going where he sends you. And as you go, proclaim his message. See, living for something bigger means living to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, point two. Living to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. That is what Paul lived for. Let's drop back into verse 23. We see in verse 23 that after telling the Jews that he was there in chains because of his hope in uh, Jesus Christ, the hope of Israel, he then invites them back to hear what he has to say about the hope of Israel. Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came back to him in his lodging, at his lodging, in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Paul living for something bigger. Paul living for something bigger than himself was living to proclaim Jesus. Now, when it uses the phrase here, the kingdom of God, that is used to summarize the content of the preaching of Jesus. That is to say, the kingdom of God, God's rule on this earth, his kingdom becomes Reality through the ministry of the King, Jesus, who came, his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation. This Jesus, so when it says kingdom of God, it's shorthand for the Christian message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. He, he, he expounded all day and night about Jesus from the Old Testament, from the Law and the Prophets. Question, can we expound the truth about God's kingdom, about Jesus Christ from the law and the prophets. Remember, I think this is probably true here. Christianity was seen as a sect of Judaism. Well, duh. We do covenant theology, right? Whole Bible is God's word, is it not? Old Testament, New Testament, grace is all through this. We're saved by faith and grace in Christ alone, old and new. Right? So therefore, we should be able to preach Jesus from the old as he is revealed in the new. Don't know how to do that? I've got the perfect thing for you. There's this class being taught by a most holy reverend beginning next Sunday at 845 on the Ten Commandments. Well, actually, I do want you to try to do that. Um, go through the book of Acts and find the places where Paul or Philip or some other disciple preached Jesus out of the Old Testament. One of the examples is Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch in the desert. And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah about the suffering servant. And he says to Philip, who just runs up and says, hey, what's going on? Fancy meeting you in the desert. Yes, God sent me here. What are you reading? Tells him Isaiah, what does this mean? Glad you asked. Jumps in the chariot. God saves the Ethiopian eunuch. He was able to preach Jesus from Isaiah. 
So if you don't know how to do that, listen, we're, we're laboring to teach you that. We taught a course last fall on biblical theology. That was the idea of it. God's story, one story in the whole Bible from beginning to end is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the fulfiller of the covenant, the one who calls God's true people, his true Israel, the Messiah of Israel, and the Savior of the world. And we should be able to preach him through that. And then, of course, come to the Ten Commandments class because we're going to be looking at each commandment, its original meaning given from God, how, how, what it meant to the Jews then, how they broke it, how we broke it, how Christ fulfills it, and then what it means for us today. I love the continuity of the big picture. It makes this Bible come alive. These stories in the Old Testament, they all point to Christ. The epistles and, and the things written after his death, they all, point, they all look back to Christ. He is all in all. Can we expound him from the Old Covenant? Well, what do we find? We find that some of the Jews believed. If you look here in uh, verse 24, after talking all day and night, Paul teaching. I wish I had the notes to that seminar. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said. So some of the Jews believed and others disbelieved. Now, Paul, Paul's going to give his final address in the whole book of Acts. So verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. Here's Paul's final statement. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to quote from Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. And this is what he says. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. By the way, that right there is proof that the Bible is inspired Because Paul is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that what Isaiah wrote was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he says, it's a little tinny to me up here. I don't know if it's me or or the... The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers. So, well, I thought Isaiah was saying it. I thought Isaiah was writing it. Yes, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet... Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Capture this for a second, folks. These are people who hear, but don't understand. It's like me, often. And these are people that see, but they don't perceive. This people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Two realities are highlighted here. By the way, Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 in the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to jot this down, Matthew 13, 13 to 15, in a very similar way. Two things here, I I believe, are highlighted for us to understand. Remember, we're on this point too. If we're living for something bigger than our own selves, then we're living as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's how we see ourselves. Prisoners have no rights. They are prisoners. And they're content with being a prisoner because it's a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not of Caesar. And two, they live to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And we're talking about that message of Jesus Christ. And that message of Jesus Christ, the preaching of Paul, of Jesus, all day and all night to Jews, and then the Jews, some believe and some disbelieve, and they harden their hearts. This now, this is very important. Two things that it speaks to us. Number one, 
the, the preaching of the kingdom of God will produce at the very same time in some faith and others unbelief, and God wants it that way. It will actually open some hearts and harden some hearts. If you study that Isaiah passage, that's what's going on there. Those who have faith will see with their eyes, they will hear with their ears, and they will understand the message of Jesus, and they'll be healed of their mortal wound of sin. The deadly wound of sin. Others will hear, but never understand. They will see, but never perceive. Their hearts will remain dull, dear friends, to God's message of salvation in Christ. Their eyes blinded to the Savior, and they will not be healed of the wound of their mortal sin. Oh, may I appeal to you, dear friend, if you're here and that describes you, Oh, may God enable you to see with your eyes and hear with your ears and understand with your hearts that Jesus is your Savior so that you may be healed of this mortal wound, this deadly disease of sin, and be healed. See, Paul proclaims that God has now, because of what the Jews did here, has sent this great salvation to the Gentiles. They're going to listen to it. They're going to be saved by this gospel, what unbelieving Israel failed to hear. They will understand the reality of the kingdom of God and the fulfillment of God's promises in the scriptures about the resurrected and exalted Lord Jesus, the hope of Israel and the Savior of the world. So so Paul proclaims the gospel as a prisoner of Christ. That's what he's living for. To whom has God called you to proclaim the gospel, the riches of Christ Jesus? Luke ends the book of Acts as he began it with the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Look at these texts here up on the screen. Acts 1, verses 1b to 3. Luke writes the following. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. And what did Jesus do during those 40 days? Speaking of what? Kingdom of God. That's how the book of Acts begins. Look how it ends. Acts 28, 30, and 31. He lived there, Paul, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who who came to him, proclaiming what? The kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. Now, according to Eckhart Schnabel, I want to meet him one day. I just love saying his name. The use of kingdom of God here in verse 31 With the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see how those two are put together? Look at it again. Verse 31. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. The use of kingdom of God here in verse 31. With the Lord Jesus Christ is deliberate. It contrasts Jesus, the messianic king, Lord, to Caesar Augustus. And implicitly claims that Jesus is the true Lord, the Greek word kurios. Jesus is the true Savior, the Greek word soter. 
Jesus is the true bearer of the scepter of the kingship of God, and that Jesus will bring the the true pax or peace on earth, replacing the false pax romana brought by the military conquests of Caesar, replacing the false lord, curios, Caesar, replacing the false savior, soter, Caesar. See, Luke's first volume begins with Caesar Augustus, the ruler of Rome, extending his scepter, as it were, his rule over the nation of Israel, this land that is God's promised land, by decreeing that a census would be taken for his new possession. He says, that's mine. I want you to count everybody there. The Christmas story. Okay. In Luke's second volume, the Acts of the Apostles, he concludes the book, read them together, he concludes the book with the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the ruler of the entire universe, extending his scepter, his rule over the kingdom of Rome by proclaiming the gospel through his prisoner, Paul. I love it. Because the key figure isn't Paul. It's not you or me. It's the risen, exalted, ruling and reigning Lord Jesus. And he extends his scepter, not with military power, but through the gospel in the mouths of poor, weak prisoners of his. Ready to sign on? You see, Jesus sent Paul to Rome. Allowed Paul to sit in a prison in Rome for two years, total of five, were those wasted years in Paul's life. Did Paul regret it? No. No. Because it was during those years of imprisonment that Paul learned the major lesson that we're intended to learn from Acts. The major lesson that the church in the, in the first century was intended to learn from Acts. That Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And that we're to live for something bigger than us. We're to live for him as his prisoners. Live to proclaim his word. Go! And make disciples of all the nations. See, the lesson learned in Acts is that Jesus is sovereign over all and he works out everything according to his purpose, even if we don't understand it. I'm sure Paul figured he'd get to Rome some other way than as a prisoner, spending six months on storms and shipwrecked on islands in the Mediterranean. But it was God's way. He was God's prisoner. He was chained to Jesus. Paul's imprisonment, according to John Stott, and relative inactivity were not wasted years, but God used them to prepare Paul to write the prison epistles. Did you know that? Did you know the, prisons, the prison epistles were written while Paul was a prisoner in Rome for two years? What are the prison epistles, you ask? They're the books of Ephesians. Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And they were wrote during these two years in Rome. And friends, these epistles communicate God's sovereignty in powerful ways. In them, Paul lays out some of the most clear teaching in the Bible 
about Jesus' supreme, sovereign, undisputed, and unrivaled lordship over all. And he wrote him as a prisoner. See, in them, look, read these books. You're going to find a man who's filled not with frustration, irritated, upset that his plans, his business plan isn't going the way he wanted it to. No, no, no. You read those epistles. You will find a man, and these epistles are a gift to the church. These epistles are filled with joy, peace, patience, and contentment in the midst of imprisonment. Because why? He believed in the sovereignty of God. You know, Paul gave us, in his four prison epistles, a rich spiritual legacy. And you know, Paul probably neither knew nor understood this. Paul died two years later. He would be released in A.D. 62, but he would be executed, they say beheaded, in A.D. 64. He probably never knew, but we know. Your life right now may seem to be frustrated by people and circumstances that seem to be hindering you. You you may be frustrated by an apparent lack of fruitfulness, by your own weakness or the weakness of others. You may be saying, Lord, how can I sit inactive for five years? I'm Paul, for heaven's sake. I'm the starting quarterback. Wish the Gators had one. I'm the guy that's going to make this happen. God says, no, no, no. Paul, why don't you just go in prison for a while? We're going to kind of marinate you. And at the end of your time in prison, the last two years of a five-year stint, I'm going to now inspire you to write four books that are going to bless Christians until I return. Bless Christians that are suffering. Bless, Bless Christians that are frustrated. Bless Christians that are tempted to not live for something bigger, but to live for themselves. Bless Christians so that they might bless others. Let me give you a snippet of what Paul wrote in these books. I believe it should be on the screen. Yes, Ephesians 1.22. And he put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church. He wrote this as a prisoner. Philippians 2. 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I can just think a prisoner of Caesar. He's thinking (coughs) Caesar's name is above everything. If I can just get free from Caesar, I'm cool. No, no. In prison, he's writing, Jesus has the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, not Caesar, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar. To the glory of God the Father. I need this. I don't know about you, I need this. <laughs> yeah. And then Colossians 1, 16 and 17. He writes, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. I mean, everything's covered, right? On earth, above earth, under the earth. The under the earth creatures, I'm not sure I even want to know about them, okay? But, you know, everything, right? Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, to include Caesar. All things were created to to include the most powerful authority today in your life or in mine or the most powerful country. What are we? We've got a drop in the bucket. 
All things were created through Him and for Him. And He, 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 Jesus is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. They don't hold together by you, friend. I don't hold them together. No, they hold together in Jesus. And when your world is coming apart, you cry out, Jesus. 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 Paul was facing trial and possible death, but he knew that he had already risen with Christ. He was awaiting the emperor's pleasure, but he knew that the supreme authority to whom he bowed was not the Lord Caesar, but the Lord Christ. To whom do you bow? To whom do I? Don't get weird on me. I'm not talking about idols and masks and weird incantations, although down here there may be some of that too. No, I'm talking about the stuff that really rules your life, the thoughts that rule you, the passions, the anger, the lust, the greed. Whose knee are you bowing to? To whom do you bow your knee? See, God used Paul's confinement to open his eyes to see the victory of Christ and the fullness of life, to see power and freedom, which is given to those who belong to Christ. Paul's perspective was adjusted, church. His horizon was extended beyond that prison cell. His vision was clarified and his witness was enriched by his prison experience. And so is ours. Here's the appeal to you. Paul calls us, God calls us through Paul to live for something bigger than ourselves. He calls us to live as Christ's prisoner, proclaiming Christ's message as citizens of Christ's kingdom. Listen, in Paul's final epistle, he wrote this one right before he was beheaded. 2 Timothy. He writes the following. May this be true of you and me, friends. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, and again, he's, he's under Caesar's thumb now. He's going to die. Caesar's going to kill him here soon. Which the Lord, Jesus Christ, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, capital D, it's judgment day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. These are words of one whose perspective has been adjusted by the risen Christ as yours. One whose horizon has been extended by the call to testify, to proclaim his name. Do you see that? One whose vision has been clarified by a clear view of that day. Do you have a clear view of that day? As Corey said earlier, it, it could be like this afternoon for you. Now, there is that day, Judgment Day. And he had a vision that he would receive the crown of righteousness promised to him by the risen Lord Jesus. Is that your hope? Are you looking for your crowns here? These rust. Thieves steal them. These, are, these, these will bring regret. See, the same Lord, the same risen Jesus lives today amongst us and is calling us to the same bold proclamation of his words. Friends, this is our mission. 
I love what John Stott says at the end here. I believe I have the quote there for you. The acts of the apostles have long ago finished, but the acts of the followers of Jesus will continue until the end of the world, and their words will spread to the ends of the earth. And that is what God is saying to us today, church. This final statement right here. Live for something bigger than yourself. Live to boldly proclaim Jesus. Let's pray. Worship team, please come up. Lord, so often we live small lives, content with the pettiness of living for ourselves, happy with the chains to our own lusts, unbelief, fears, anger, bitterness, pride. We live in a ghetto of our own thoughts, often so wrong about you, others, and ourselves. Awaken us, Lord. Awaken Zion, Lord, which is a metaphor for your people, your true people. Awake, awake, O Zion. Lord, we call out that you would awaken us as the church. We pray for believers to live for something bigger, to live for you as your prisoner, to live to proclaim your word. Awaken us, Lord. We're drowsy. We're drowsy. We need your help. We need your help. We want to fight that good fight that you've called us to fight. We want to run that race that you've called us to run. We're tired of fighting stupid fights that we pick that you never intended for us to fight. We're tired of running after things that you said, (laughs) don't run after that. It's going to disappoint you when you finally get it. We want to run your race, your way, as your people. Awake now, your church, in Jesus' name. Stand, church. Let's sing this song.